0: And uh, thank you, everybody, for all that you've uh, done in uh, our service this evening so far. And, of course, as uh, Sherry was reading the Scriptures, we couldn't help but think what a great uh, section of uh, the Scriptures these particular verses are. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I think uh, it is fair to say that we can read them very quickly. Uh, we can perhaps read them without fully understanding uh, the enormous um, um, influence that they should have upon us so behold what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God and uh, during the course of today we were able to rejoice in our service this morning and I'm sure that uh, like me you were grateful for the testimonies that were brought Um, Like me, you were grateful for the fact that we were able to hear of the way that God was working, yes, in one very young life, just eight years old, and one slightly older, but uh, still a young life. We were able to hear and to understand through the songs that we read together, through the scriptures that were read, and of course, through the message that we looked at, that God is at work in us. We understand, of course, that as believers, we can relate to this. But what we need to also appreciate is that for someone who is not a believer, somebody who hasn't had the privilege of knowing Jesus, then the things that we are speaking about this morning and again this evening are just simply not understood. And this evening, the section of Scripture that uh, we look at talks about what does a child of God look like. Now, I'm not talking about the physical appearance of a child of God. What I'm talking about is what does the person, what is their nature, what does their character look like? Now, the reason that we approach it this way is because I could say to you, well, you know, uh, this is what a Christian is not like. And I could reel off a whole load of things that I think Christians uh, shouldn't, you know, someone who's not a believer, that's how they would live their life. And we could do that. But you know what? That's not the way the scripture handles this, is it? The Scriptures take a very different approach. And what uh, John, the Apostle John, actually does is that he describes what a Christian is. He doesn't describe what a Christian is not. And so as we begin to understand this this evening, I hope that uh, we will be able to appreciate this. So when we turn to Matthew's Gospel and uh, chapter 7, Matthew's Gospel chapter 7. Verses 15 through to 23, our Lord Jesus is talking and he says, beware. Now, when Jesus says, beware, he means it. We know that he means it because he loves us and he wants the best for us. And he doesn't want us to face the challenges and the difficulties which he knows we face. So he says, beware of false prophets who come. To you in shepherds in sheep's clothing. But are inwardly they are ravenous wolves, and you know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Jesus is not saying that we judge people. But he's saying by their fruit, you will know those who have been born of the Spirit. And you will know those who are yet to have an encounter with Jesus. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Now, the reality is, and I have to say this carefully, is that there are false believers, there are counterfeit Christians everywhere. Even here, this evening, there may be some. And we have to recognize that these people will want to try and deceive you into thinking things which are not of God. They will try and deceive you into thinking that your sin is not a major problem. It's not something that you should be particularly concerned about. How do you spot a counterfeit? Well, we've talked about this before, and I've used the example, but I found another one recently in the news. So the example that we've used before is that if you want to learn how to spot counterfeit money, then what you do is give the people that are going to do this job piles of the real thing. And they touch it, feel it, taste it, smell it. And they get so used to what the real thing is that suddenly, when something's placed in their hand that's a fake, they spot it straight away so i was uh, reading an article about uh, an art historian and he was making the point that there are fake pictures everywhere and he said the thing is i know the real ones because i have studied Painting after painting after painting. And I know the brush strokes and I know every detail. I know the way that the original artist would draw the eyes or paint the eyes. He knew the real thing so perfectly that when a fake was placed in front of him, he spotted it straight away. And you and I might look at a picture of the Mona Lisa and say, well, it looks pretty real to me. But it's not. It's a fake. And so we recognize That the way to uh, spot the real thing is to be able to know about the real thing. And of course, this is the approach that John takes. He says, look, this is what the real believer is like. This is what the person who has met and encountered Jesus is like. This is what happens to the person when the Holy Spirit comes inside them, works within them. And the power of the resurrection changes them. And we're told that we go from being an old creation to being a new creation. And that is what makes the difference for us. Instead of listing the characteristics of a child of Satan, he lists the characteristics of a child of God. And that's what we all need to be careful about. So when we look at our lives, we can ask ourselves some questions. What are my characteristics? Do I actually bear a resemblance to my heavenly father? Pete chose that last song. I only saw the title of it. I didn't realize what the content was, but the Holy Spirit knew exactly what we needed to hear. And you heard the words or heard the words that were presented there, to be like him. And friends, that has to be the objective of all of us. To be like Jesus. So this evening, this is our gospel message. And and I've just got to tell you What God's word says a believer is. What the characteristics of a believer is. And if you're sat here this evening and you don't recognize those characteristics in you. And perhaps you can even be honest enough to say, well, I know that that's what it should be like. And I'm good at hiding it. There's this veneer. And I fool people. Well, you might fool some, but you'll never fool God. You'll never fool the Holy Spirit. And the contrast between the two are obvious. And John has spent time, and he talks about the contrast between light and dark. So our key verse is 1 John 3, verse 10. And it says this, In this, the children of God... And the children of the devil are manifested. That's revealed, shown. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. A true child of God practices righteousness and loves other Christians despite differences. So on uh, Thursday... um, There's no hiding that this message is based on a lot of what we talked about on Thursday for our Bible study. We talked about the word practice, didn't we? For those of you who were able to come along. What does the word practice mean? Is anyone brave enough to uh, help out on this point? What does the word practice mean? Sorry? To do. Yes, exactly. So when we practice to do something, we're doing it. In other words... Uh, the doctor practices as a doctor, okay? Not a builder, but a doctor. (laughs) And in our lives as believers, we are told to practice and to live the life that we are presented through our knowledge of Jesus. Practicing righteousness and loving the brethren are not new themes in John's epistle. In 1 John 1 and 2, John places the emphasis on fellowship, A Christian who is in fellowship with God will practice righteousness and will love the brethren. So one of the things about John's first epistle is an interesting one. It's been described sometimes as a spiral staircase because he keeps coming back to the same themes. But every time he brings us back to the same theme, he takes us a bit deeper. And so originally he's talking about the fellowship, the love that we have when we are part of the fellowship. But all of a sudden... John is changing as we move into chapter 3 and chapter 5. And the emphasis changes greatly. And here the emphasis is on sonship. Now who are we sons of? It was, it was Albert, I believe, who prayed. And he, or just before he prayed. And he brought us to the attention of the scriptures that talk about the word Abba. And if you've heard any little Jewish children that uh, will run around their, their father and they'll say, Abba, Abba. And I've heard that. And then suddenly you remember the scriptures. And I know some people in churches, they find it difficult to think that we would possibly ever suggest that we could call God who created the universe our daddy. Well, we don't necessarily have to do that, but we understand the connection that is being made and that we as young children can look up to our heavenly father and we can see and we can know that this is a father who cares for us. This is a father who has done everything for us in that he starts by His love, which is demonstrated through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, given to us at Calvary. And he's done that because he loves us. And so, the emphasis changes here. What does it mean to be a, uh, what's sonship all about? Well, it means that a true Christian is born of God. And it is because we are born of God that we will practice Righteousness. We won't pretend because our character is that of God, because we have been born of God. We have been born of the Holy Spirit. So what does being born of God mean? Well, it's a good point. It's a good question. And we discover very quickly that John uses this understanding a great deal. And if you go into John's gospel, you see that he uses it a great deal there as well. And here in chapter 2, verse 29, he says, everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Okay? So we understand that very clearly. Chapter 3, verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Now we need to think about that for a moment. Whoever is born of God does not sin. We're going to come back to that one because that has caused many people many problems and we'll discuss that in just a moment. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Very important. Very important. Chapter five, verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God because it is only through our birth that that is revealed to us that we know. Chapter five, verse four, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And the world wants to overcome us, but it can't. You know, (laughs) believers are just a real nuisance to the world, aren't we? Because we won't just. Bow down and take it. We're good citizens. But there are things that our lineage, our being born again means that we can't be involved in. There are places we can't go. There are things that we can't say. Because of who our Father is. And lastly, chapter 5, verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. So there's one of those wonderful promises that we have. At first glance, uh, 1 John 3, verse 6 and verse 9 can be somewhat startling, Do not sin. They can also appear to be contradictory to 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9. The problem is is that the authorized translation of these verbs is not the best translation perhaps. And the Greek text actually says no one who abides in him practices sin. No one who practices sin has seen him or knows him. So the link here is on the word practice. Now you see when we're born again. Suddenly, our conscience tells us there are things that are taking place in our life that have to stop. We discover that we are different because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The the NIV translates it at 1 John 3 and verse 6 and says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Now think about that for a moment. No one who continues to sin has ever seen him or known him and then the niv in verse 9 says no one who is born of god will continue to sin because god's seed remains in them and they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of god it all comes down to practice you see the thing that is being spoken of here so very clearly, is that when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our outlook and our relationship, and we saw this this morning, with sin has changed. Because all of a sudden, we suddenly realize how terribly offensive our sin is to God. And that changes us. Even from an earthly perspective, with a father that we've had a good relationship with, that we have loved and that he loves us, when we deliberately go against him, it hurts us. And there's nothing worse than that conversation when your father says, hey, I need to talk to you. And then he graciously talks about the things you've been involved in. It's happened to me. And perhaps to all of us. Because we know that if we make a practice, a habit of sinning, then we have a problem. To practice sin is to sin consistently and as a way of life. The verses are not referring to committing the occasional sin, the things that we think, the things that go wrong in our lives. It is clear that no Christian is sinless. But God expects a true believer, as we said this morning, to sin less. Not to sin habitually. If you have your Bible, let's uh, turn uh, to, uh, to John's Gospel, uh, chapter 8. But when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down And he taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us, that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and he wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said, He who is without sin, you throw the first stone. And again, he stooped down and he wrote in the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up. And he saw no one but the woman. He said to a woman. Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said. No one Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. But have the light of life. You see, the woman responded by saying, Lord. Because in that time, in that moment, in that conversation that had taken place, a transformation occurred. And Jesus was able to say to her, because of that transformation, sin no more. Now, friends, We've got to start taking this seriously. In our lives, we need to lift up those around us so that they're able to see and to determine what it is to live the Christian life and to turn our back on sin and to walk away from it. That doesn't mean we get angry. It doesn't mean that we show any emotion in that sense, but simply that we turn away So being born of God must involve a massive change within our hearts and in our lives. And it is fair to say that some of us, we see that more than others. And some of the testimonies you hear about people that have lived horrendous lives. And yet suddenly the power of God comes in and somebody who was, it's impossible for them to change. It's changed completely. It's a miracle that takes place in all of our lives. Every single one of us who comes to faith in the Lord Jesus. It's a miracle that takes place. An unsaved person. Even if he or she professes to be a Christian. But is a counterfeit. Lives a life of habitual sin. No they don't. Yes they do. You see sin and especially the sin of unbelief is the normal thing in their lives Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 3 and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You see, the unbeliever continues to sin because they have no spiritual resources to draw upon. And if you're here this evening and you're thinking to yourself, Well, I've tried. Therein lies the problem. You've tried. But what are the resources you're drawing on? Because in your strength, you will fail. But when you draw on the strength that comes from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, from God living within us, The presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not alone. And we're able to make that stand. And this is the distinction in view in 1 John 3 verses 1 to 10. A true believer does not live in habitual sin. He or she commits sin. The occasional wrong act. But he or she will not practice sin. And so this evening, the question is, very simply, what's your relationship to sin? What's your personal approach? If you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know that sin is not what you want to be involved in. And you will walk away from it. But if you continue, then it's an indication clearly that you have to come to faith in the Savior. So what is the difference between the unsaved person and the saved person? Well, very simply, the true Christian is a Christian because he or she has been born of God. And this means that the true Christian knows God. The counterfeit Christian may talk about God. And get involved in religious activities. But he or she does not know God. And that is the imperative. Do you know God? I'm not talking about knowing about him. But do you know him personally? Have you met with his dear son, Jesus? Have you called to him for your salvation? The person who has been born of God through faith in Jesus Christ knows God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And because he or she knows them, they live a life of obedience and they do not practice sin. So that really is in a nutshell. Jesus has taken our sin and he gives us his righteousness. This is an exchange that we can't begin to understand. But as we do understand it, then we see that our life changes and our reaction towards sin changes and our relationship towards sin changes. So this evening, don't continue with your habitual sin Come to God, seek his forgiveness, meet with Jesus and place your trust in him. May the Lord bless you.